Welcome to the Style Free Podcast, where a father and son detail and digress on a wide variety of topics within music, art, family, and culture. Your hosts are Professor Stephen J. Tyson Sr. and Jr., also known as Dad and Papa. In today's episode, we discuss Dr. Strange, the art of Steve Ditko, and the mystical and spiritual connections to the work of other visual artists, including Georgiana Houghton, Hilma Offklint, Mondrian, Kandinsky, Dolly, and more. Welcome back, Dad. Hey, it's great to be with you, Papo, as always. Yeah, most definitely. Something that has been on my mind a bit lately, uh, I've been watching a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and catching up with some of the newer shows like WandaVision and uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, one of the things that I've been doing is also trying to catch up with a lot of the movies starting from, well, let's go cinematic uh, order, you know, starting with uh, Iron Man, but I've also tried to do it in chronological order as well, starting with uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. And in that made our way through the entire series. Uh, but one of the movies that stood out to me the most uh, was Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange is going to be a very important character. There's going to be the uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, the sequel wow. to this movie that comes out. And so that's supposed to open the door to the multiverse uh, where we end up getting uh, some new characters, uh, possibly the X-Men are definitely going to be in this phase getting introduced to the Fantastic Four and all. But it was really cool how Doctor Strange has become a very central figure for what the world will essentially experience as like the primary driver of the Marvel comics universe beyond just the Marvel cinematic universe. And Dr. Strange has always been a character that stood out to me a lot because as a kid growing up, uh, you know, I'd you know be perusing through your books on your library and, and seeing all the, the, all the cool things that are interesting. And a lot of it, you know, were a lot of different comic books and, and some other uh, really cool art books and everything like that. But you had a, you know, a Black Panther collection, but you had more specifically uh, two Doctor Strange books that I thought were so cool. It was uh, one was a collection. It was a smaller book. And I think a lot of the illustrations were more so in black and white. Uh, but then you had a large one where a lot of the illustrations were in color. And as a kid, I was really captured by the artistry and the uh, sci-fi kind of nature around the character and how the illustrations were drawn. And mm -hmm. it kind of took you into these other dimensions and other worlds where Doctor Strange really tapped into a more cosmic and more spiritual connection than a lot of the other comic characters. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching all these, you know, cinematic movies and it, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this movie, you know, really stood out to me. And, you know, knowing how you had these books on your shelf, you know, and, and even, you know, trying to recall some of the conversations that we had when I was a kid, you know, Doctor Strange also seemed to be a character that really stood out to you a lot too. Mm -hmm, um, and mm -hmm. I know the comic came out in the 60s and everything. So I was just curious about, you know, your perspective on Doctor Strange and and the influence that that comic might have had on you just as a kid, you know, as a, as a young black kid growing up in the in the 60s. But then also <laughs> as, you know, a kid who's very interested in art and very interested in expressing themselves through art and how that, you know, has kind of grown and manifested itself, you know, mm -hmm. as an adult. 
Yeah, that, that's that's great. Um, and, and I also want to follow up with you uh, to find out what it is and how this particular character, for example, speaks to you uh, in this in this day and age. Yeah. What the significance of a Doctor Strange is, you know, in this generation and, and from your experience. I can tell you that Doctor Strange was one of my first uh, superhero characters. I like looking at the Sunday comic strips that would be in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of different characters that I liked. But when it came to comic books, one of the, actually, <laughs> I should say one of the first comic books that I really, that spoke to me was, was not a, a superhero as such, but it was a comic book that was used as part of a community action agency called Haru, which did a study on the situation of, of poverty and powerlessness in Harlem and really was a blueprint uh, for community action agencies around the country. And the project director, and at another point, the executive director was your grandfather. That's Cyril deGrasse Tyson. That's Cyril deGrasse Tyson, yes. And he had the vision, the foresight, to take this hefty document of analysis and to translate its findings into a comic book form that featured many of the people who were part of the study uh, at this time. And so looking at the characters and the way that the artist uh, would draw some of the scenes, this artist was using some surrealistic approaches. When I say surrealism, I'm talking about a way going beyond beyond reality you know, dealing with tackling a uh, uh, subject matter that instead of showing it just straight the way that you would, in a very literal way, would use it almost metaphorically to represent the conditions and situations that were affecting uh, the community. Only in a few instances, but those, re- and particularly on the, on the front cover of that comic book, that stood out to me. And I'm, I'm like seven and a half years old or so you know, at the time. You know, and Har you that was for... Har- Harlem Youth Unlimited. And that was the same program that uh, young Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was part of too, right? Well, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. That a young uh, aspiring journalist by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, he, was, he, was, he didn't have that name though back then. No, at that time he was known as Lou Alcindor Jr. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he came uh, from the Dykeman Street uh, Projects you know, around 200 Street in Manhattan. So it was young, uh, a lot of young people came through that program. But to go back to the comic book, like I say, that that really had a strong impact on me. Again, I'm like seven and a half or so when this, this document came out. And so to see uh, these images and, and the stories, and, and it even featured a young uh, Joan Gans Cooney as a director of a film, uh, and of course, she would later go on to uh, start Sesame Street. So Joan Gans Cooney was, was um, it was your grandfather who told her that it was important to document and uh, include the people, their actual voices as part of the documentary that she was putting together called Haru's Harlem. And as a result, you know, she got an award uh, from that particular production. Hmm. And that, that kind of contributed to her 
clout, if you would say, you know, in the, in the industry, which helped to lay the groundwork for the Sesame Street program later wow. on. That's incredible. So, yeah. So at any rate, um, so this is, so if you're, you know, around seven years old, you know, reading this comic book from Haru, you know, I'm almost eight. You know? Yeah. So that's around the time that Dr. Strange came out too, because Dr. Strange premiered in 1963. Yes, that's right. That's right. Out of um, Strange Tales. Uh, in fact, he was a uh, kind of in the back of the comic. <laughs> he wasn't, he wasn't a headliner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Time. And uh, at, because nobody had ever heard of a character like this. And what stood out to me uh, about that was just, first of all, the, the artwork of, of Steve Ditko. There was just something about it that was very straightforward. You know, some might say in some cases it was a little stiff. You know, I, I, I kind of felt that way sometimes. It was a certain formality, you know, to his approach, as opposed to somebody like Jack Kirby, you know, which was all about muff, muscle and shadow and, mm. and, and highlight, you know, the sculpture, yeah. you know, this heft, you know. Yeah, where, Steve Ditko's characters were definitely a little more slender, thinking about yeah. uh, Peter Parker and the first exactly. iteration of Spider-Man and things like that, yeah. That's right. And if you think about the countenance of some of the characters, you know, whether it's Peter Parker or his, his grandmother or his aunt, it's a kind of plainness, a very straightforward, yeah, clean-cut, direct style about that. Yeah. I'm not talking about the action scenes, but even in the action scenes, even those actions were measured in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and, and whereas Jack Kirby's was more, you know, a lot of diagonals and thrust. And if, mm-hmm. if, we were co- if we were to compare the styles in some way in terms of art history, we could say that, that there was more of an influence of Caravaggio and um, Rubens you know, in terms of those diagonals in the work of Jack Kirby. And in the work of Steve Ditko, it might be more of a Nicolas Poussin, French Baroque artist, mm-hmm. whose characters tended to be, uh, in fact, he used to use, the way I understand it, he used to use little wax model figures, you know. As Ditko the, did or, or Poussin? Uh, Poussin, you know, talk about emotional content. <laughs> in yeah, many cases. not anger. Their, their characters are, are more studied, more... Um, you know, stayed in, in their appearance. Uh, uh, even when they're, you know, like two characters are tumbling in space, you know, it, it's, it's pretty much that. Um, now, where there's a break, where there's a difference with Doctor Strange uh, is when uh, Steve Ditko is starting now, is opening up the door to these other realms, to these other dimensions. Um, that you had never really seen anything like that in, in comic books before, at least not yeah. to that extent. Yeah. Now there are antecedents, uh, you know, in terms of these sorcerers or magicians and, you know, people who had, uh, were in touch with, you know, the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it wasn't that it was the first, it, there was a particular character uh, by the name of Shandu the magician, uh, who was a very popular uh, character. Uh, who was connected with, again, the supernatural. Uh, there were people like Yarko the Great, you know, master of magic. You know, that's another uh, character. Mandrake the magician. You know, a lot of these characters coming out in the 1930s, you know, some of them have been radio shows, some of them were films. And, and I think that a lot of these were probably part of the influence for people like, you know, Stan Lee, 
and and so I thought that's that's one of the things that's important to um, you know to mention that there's a context for all of these things. Yeah. So Stan Lee was so Stan Lee came up with the character and Steve Ditko like kind of made it come to life and drew it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. One of the things that I would say about Doctor Strange is that his story, you know, really piques the imagination. It, it there's a certain intersection between science because remember he was a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's right. He had an accident, and and it affected his ability to be a surgeon. And he was frustrated, and he was sick. And he also was very vain and egotistical, and yeah, you know, yeah. had an attitude and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so this made him confront himself, you know. And uh, and so I think that there's something very existential about that, and about the character in in, in that sense. And Part of this idea of, you know, facing self and pulling oneself up, but he didn't do it alone. He traveled, you know, he went to Tibet and he encountered the ancient one, which uh, was a sage that put him in a situation where he had to come to terms with who he was. I think you could see some aspects of this in the Matrix later on. Mm, Yeah. Right. And, um, uh, And there are many other kinds of movie vehicles that have arisen, mm-hmm. um, which I think the roots of which can be traced back to, again, Dr. Strange, Shandu the Magician, and this idea of not only going to different dimensions, but also the idea of shape-shifting, you know, becoming something else or becoming more of yeah. who you are. Yeah, There's something aspirational about that. Yeah, And I think that that's one of the things that appeals to people. I think people also love a good story. Mm-hmm. You know, people since sitting around, you know, in caves or wherever. I mean, this is just part of the DNA of, of who we are as, in, as individuals to make sense of the world. But also when faced with situations where there are limitations or where there are threats or um, there's oppression or whatever, what do you go to to help you get through, to navigate through those challenges, you know, the challenges of life? It's Go ahead. Yeah. And they'll say a lot of the time it's people finding a story to connect to or to share whether, you know, now we have, you know, Netflix or books <laughs> or things like that. Other stories that, you know, we connect through stories and narratives in those types of ways. But back in the day, as you were saying, it'd be verbally or, you know, with pictures on a wall or, you know, whatever, however, you're still communicating a story and, and stories are also what create history like the, the, and, and narrative and, yeah, I get what you're saying. No, that's so true. That's so true. I mean, how do we, how do, what's one of the important ways that we understand, you know, our history? You know, it's through painting pictures with words mm-hmm. or music, mm-hmm. you know, or the arts, things that are passed down from one generation to the next, whether it's through, again, oral history or through, you know, books themselves. And so I think that, that again, the uh, the the power I think behind characters like Doctor Strange is that it does open up new pathways, you know, of of awareness or really an affirmation that subconsciously all of us realize that there's more to this life, you know, or life itself than just what we see. You know, it's like you look around and say, "Well, is this it?" You know, or is there, or is this just a shadow or a reflection? Or, or a layer of a much richer and more vast reality. Yeah. 
and that definitely connects to the whole concept around, you know, multidimensional life or a multiverse and things like that, where, you know, there are multiple layers to not just beyond, you know, our, our visible scope and, you know, the things that we can see in our limited range of visible light, but then just as far as what life is and, and how that connects with spirit and the other things that we really are still questioning and have so many questions about whenever it comes to life. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you mentioned uh, too was the ancient one and how that character was very influential in teaching Dr. Strange, you know, but that character was also, at least in the comic books, very specifically written to be, you know, an Asian character. Mm. And then, you know, here I am watching the film and expecting the character to also be, you know, Asian, whether or not it's male or female, but, you know, to Mm. at least have the cultural connection to a lot of the things that are expressed within the Doctor Strange, you know, narrative, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like the, the spiritual aspects of it and things of that nature, a lot of the magic and the, the you know, the mysticism around it, you know, it, it, it does have, you know, a lot of connection with various, you know, ancient to current modern day Asian cultural aspects. Mm-hmm. And to see then in the movie that it's played by Tilda Swinton, mm-hmm. I was like, is this whitewashing the character? Well, it is whitewashing the character. It's not, it's not a question of if it is or isn't. But mm-hmm. it, I was more like how, like, how are they going to balance that or navigate that? Because as an actor, Tilda Swinton did an excellent job as the ancient one. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the movie knowing that it's her, but then also being like, wow, like, yeah, this is also the ancient one, I guess. Great job, Tilda Swinton. Like, excellent work. <laughs> so, you know... I don't want to take anything away from her as an actress, but at the same time, it's still head scratching that that was a selection for somebody to be the ancient one. I know that they wrote into the script around it being like, you know, I I can take many forms or have taken many forms, you know, that kind of narrative, (laughs) you know, which then creates the invisible underlying conversation of the irrelevancy of race, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't touch on the importance of culture. And mm-hmm. how the eraser of race also then erases culture that the entire Doctor Strange narrative draws from. So I think that missing, I think that a missing piece in the cinematic universe versus the comic universe mm-hmm. was having an ancient one that actually has a more visible representation to some of the more deeper and, and real cultural things that the comic has been based on. That's a very interesting uh, point that you bring up. uh, And and I think it's a, it's a valid, you know, discussion for sure. I mean, you could touch on images. This also connects to images, you know, religious or spiritual images of say Jesus Christ, you know, what did Jesus look like? Yeah. In some churches, you know, he'll look this way and other churches will look that way. Yeah. What is the significance of all of that? Some say, well, it really doesn't matter because it's all about the teachings. And then you talk about, well, let's see, let, let's take a look at the teachings. Let's take a look at, you know, how things were put together or what was put in or what was, you know, left out, mm-hmm. uh, how it's framed, you know, the mm-hmm. cultural context in which these uh, stories are told. And so there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. And we, we, that, that's perhaps something we could, you know, begin to unpack at a, at a later point. 
Yeah. But at any rate, going back to this idea of, of, you know, magic and the supernatural, well, like I said, it goes back a long way. And certainly in the West, there was a period of time uh, in the 19th century where there was a, this religious movement called spiritualism. And, and basically it was, you know, about communicating with the dead and the, the idea that those who are dead, you know, still have the ability to connect with those in the present and that the dead could also provide answers. Now, some people feel that this connected with the idea of a reaction against the growing materialism that was taking place in the West in the 19th century. Mm. Um, you know, there are different opinions about that. But it did have a certain significant uh, impact in terms of, you know, how people thought about transcending, you know, the limitations of their current situation. Some of those spiritualists uh, were supporters of uh, abolition against slavery. Some of them were uh, suffragists, you know, women suffragists. So if you see this, it's very interesting, this intersection of different interests and breaking out of the bonds or the chains that people yeah. felt that, that were, were preventing them from living there or actualizing their, their full potential uh, as individuals, whether men, women, or people of color. Uh, later on, of course, you have people like Helena Blavatsky, who developed uh, uh, was one of the developers of theosophy, the theosophical movement. And out of that, you have people like Rudolf Steiner and others who people who were also connected to the arts as well. You know, the arts as a vehicle through which ideas and spiritualism and so forth could be communicated. Yeah. Uh, artists like Vasily Kandinsky, you know, mm -hmm. one of the pioneering abstract artists, you know, was one of those followers of, you know, theosophy and, uh, and, and Steiner. Uh, and, um, and then even in the earlier, like 40 years before him, there was a woman by the name of Georgiana Hooten. And she was a British artist and, and a spiritualist. And she would, you know, conduct seances and so forth. And in her work, and I'm talking about in the 1860s and that period of time, yeah. Um, she was creating abstract drawings, paintings and drawings and things on paper that were like what we would call, you know, completely uh, non-objective or abstract. Yeah. Uh, and this is way before, you know, the other. But she's, she didn't see these as works of art per se, more so as information that was being channeled through her onto paper. What was her name again? Georgiana Hooten. Wow. H-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Wow. Others would follow in her wake, people like Hilma Af Klint. So you have people like, uh, you know, Kandinsky and Mondrian, one of my favorite artists, Mondrian. Uh, <laughs> in fact, Piet Mondrian did a, a composition that he called um, Broadway Boogie Woogie. And like Kandinsky, he was inspired by music. Hmm. And so Broadway Boogie Woogie is a reflection not only when he relocated to New York uh, from Europe and he set up a studio in Manhattan and he used to go out dancing. He loved boogie-woogie music. Yeah. Mead Lux Lewis and, 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 and other composers, musicians like that. And so he reflected that, that painting, Broadway Boogie-Woogie, is like a topographic view of New York with rectangles, primary colors, and you get the sensation of the movement, not only of traffic and buildings, but you also get a sense of the rhythms of music, right? And yeah. Music has been connected to these artists that I talked about who were inspired by the ideas of spiritualism, 
Uh, in fact, Kandinsky uh, wrote a book called Concerning the Spiritual in Art. And my, my point is, is that music being a medium that you can't see, but you can feel. Yeah. That it has the ability to touch the emotions. Mm-hmm. And that it also, as we've talked about in other episodes, has the ability to bring people together and to transcend barriers and boundaries. Yeah. So in, in many ways, this connects with the idea of, of spirit for many of these artists. And so therefore now, I'm sort of circling back into this discussion of the work of Steve Ditko and Dr. Strange, yeah. because I've always loved music and I've always felt you know, the power of music. And I would say that a number of my works, I usually have music going while I'm, I'm working. But I think I also recognize in the work of people like Steve Ditko uh, in Doctor Strange that when the character would enter into these other realms, either going through a door and entering another realm, another universe that had pathways that intersected, that went over the other, that it was was like a complex spatial network of different realities. Yeah, whenever he Um, would go to the astral plane. Yes, yes. You know, or being faced with eternity as an yes. entity itself. Yeah, or like you would go against Dormammu and, and all yes. those other characters, yeah. Right, and, and, and so you, when you start thinking about these different characters as energies, you know, as, as archetypes, in essence, you know, that the individual has to face, that they're not just external, but they're also internal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the thing that the uh, Rocky said to Creed when he brought him into the gym and he faced the mirror and then he pointed and he said, talked about the toughest opponent you'll ever face is right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that many of these kinds of stories, you could see them, you know, some people take them literally, but you can also think about them metaphorically that they represent states of of human consciousness, human feeling, physicality, uh, all the things that we have to engage in, our own mortality, and how do we make sense of it? You know, some people say, well, this is it, that's the end. Other people say, no, there's another life, there's an afterlife. And so these stories are, are, I think, vehicles that allows us to engage in those bigger questions, those existential questions, and so that's, I think, subconsciously as a kid, being an artist, being, you know, sensitive, even though I'm, I'm young, again, this is following, you know, the assassination of John Kennedy. You begin really to yeah. see that, that, wow, these things can happen or these situations that, you know, the, the idea of permanence and stability. Well, what is there that you can rely on? What kind of ground is there, you mm-hmm. know, that you can uh, take a position mm-hmm. uh, on? And um, and to help you navigate, you know, through through life. Yeah. And so I think for me, it was it was the colors. It was the storytelling. It was, you know, growing up in the Catholic Church. uh, There were plenty of stories and supernatural or spiritual characters and beings, and they all had different roles and so forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was not so much of a stretch or a leap to begin to think of these characters or to look at these characters in Doctor Strange and other other sources as plays, you know. We used, yeah. you know, your grandparents would take us to plays. Yeah. You know, we would see dramas and things acted out. 
Yeah. You know, on a stage, you know, and, and as uh, Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage. Right. 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 Okay. And we're just, you know, these characters and we, you know, we come on and we go off, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep, we're just we're some merely people. players. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And there are some people who, you know, look behind the curtain mm-hmm. you know, or, or inclined to look behind the veil, you yeah. know, and see that there's some, and that's one of the things that is connected to surrealism. You know, when you think about people like Salvador Dali, you know, the persistence of memory, the, the, the floppy dripping clocks. And, and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Like, wow, what kind of reality is this? <laughs> you know, that's something that, that um, Alfred Hitchcock wanted to use, that concept in the dream sequence in a film called Spellbound with Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman. Wow. Yeah. And, and so he hired Salvador Dali to do the dream sequence. That's and, incredible. Yeah, because Ingrid Bergman in Spellbound played a psychiatrist and she's dealing with a patient. The character uh, is played by Gregory Peck. And so she she engages him in going back to unsolve some of the mysteries of, you know, related to his his youth. And in that, he sees himself running. Right. Yeah. And and so this was created by by Salvador Dali. And, and the idea, again, uh, is to go back and look at a different way of understanding our reality that, that just as M- Madame Curie in development of radium, you know, laid the foundation for X-ray technology, you know, that, that allowed people to see that you could see beyond the surface. Mm-hmm. Just as Einstein was beginning to question, you know, the ideas of, 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 of time and relativity and, yeah. and what is solid and what is not solid and, mm-hmm. you know, the relativity of things. And, and also think about the fact that, that technology speeding up in the early part of the 19th century. Uh, and so all this technological development, you have people like Nikola Tesla, mm-hmm. you know, who's beginning to forge ahead with his innovations of which we are still influenced by, you know, in yeah. our culture materially. And and by the way, just to talk about Nikola Tesla for a second, he was good friends with a gentleman by the name of uh, Swami Vivekananda. This was one of the forerunners of the Eastern spiritual traditions that would later flower themselves in the 1960s. Wow. Uh, you, we hear about Paramahansa Yogananda, Mm-hmm. Uh, he was somebody who was connected to, as well, uh, Korla Pandit, right? An African American who posed as a Hindu uh, organist. You know, yeah, we talked about him in the in the other episode. That's correct. And so this idea of of shape shifting, the idea of taking on a different reality, of moving into new spaces, you know, of transcending oppression or any restrictions that prevent you from actualizing the deeper qualities and attributes that you have as an individual. Yeah, and you mentioned Corla Pandit too. Uh, one of the things we were talking about with Corla Pandit was that he also, before he had his television show, the first, he was not, he did not come out as African-American, but he was the first African-American to have his own television show in 1950. And prior to that, he was on an, a radio program, the second uh, edition of Shandu, the magician. He did the organ music in the background for that. Now, <laughs> imagine this. Korla Pandit, although he was known as Juan Rolando at that time, 
I think it was between 1948 and 1950 that he was doing the organ music for Shandu, the magician. Certainly, the characteristics that a Shandu magician, the magician had, can be linked uh, in many ways to uh, Stan Lee as uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah. So when you think about characters like Doctor Strange, yeah, how do you find that relevant to life and culture today? It's interesting because I feel my perspective of it is a bit different than probably just the general public's because I think that the general public's understanding of a character like Doctor Strange comes solely from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I have a greater depth of understanding around like the nuances of like the spiritual layers and, or even just, you know, when it comes to just the artistry and stuff like that, growing up, you know, learning from you as a kid and, and hearing you, because you introduced me to Dr. Strange. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I also, that was my foundation in kind of learning and understanding the character. So when I saw the character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was really different because I think that they did a great job in conveying the artistry of Steve Ditko to the screen Mm -hmm. and kind of taking you into a different world. And it was very, uh, it reminded me of Christopher Nolan's inception to some extent in kind of how the, the movie looked. And I thought that that was a great way of bringing that aspect of the comic into life. Mm. But whenever it came to certain aspects of the writing, uh, I felt that there was more to be desired from my um, perspective because, and and maybe that's going to come out in some of the sequels or whenever we see the character in other Marvel films, but I feel like there could have been more connection to some of the real spiritual connections that exist that it, that it drew from. I think more so whenever it comes to today though, the character of Baron Mordo is somewhat more reflective of the kind of reality that we're in right now, where Mm. you have somebody who wants to adhere to the code and the the tenets of these ancient scriptures. Mm -hmm. And then they realize that the ancient one and the person who taught them that is actually not as pure in their intentions and they're actually drawing from dark magic in order to prolong their longevity of life. Mm. And it's like, well, if you're doing that for that selfish reason, then all of this is for naught. Mm-hmm. And so that creates that the the that creates the turn in his character going from a good guy in the movie to by the end of the movie, more of he's, he's not a bad guy, he's not a villain but he's definitely setting himself up for in the sequel. He'll be somebody who Dr. Strange is going to be going against. Right. right. So it, it's, so I think that that narrative is something that's more applicable to, to right now, whenever you have an ambition or an idealistic nature about something. And then you realize the greater reality of what it is. And then you're now struggling with that conflict inside. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that narrative is very applicable to right now because whether that's as you know heavy-handed as you know connecting it to what's going on right now with the public perception of the police, you know you have 
this idealistic narrative that's been whitewashed and conveyed to the American public for mm-hmm. generations mm-hmm. about who the police are and there are heroes and there are these folks. And then we see the reality mm-hmm. of policing in America. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that is not this idealistic thing that you've been telling us. Mm-hmm. And so what, what do I now do with knowing the reality versus what you told me? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and so it's, so for me, I'm like, yeah, I ride with Baron Mordo in that because, because, you know, here he is trying to adhere to what's right. Mm-hmm. And he has a line in the, in the movie where he tells Dr. Strange, the bill comes due always. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. It, which is basically another way of saying that the ends justify the means. Mm. So we're kind of going back to this idea about, you know, how do you deal with certain forces that impact your situation? You know, how, how does how, how do you summon up, you know, the courage and the fortitude to to confront those, but also transform that moment into some into a positive out mm-hmm. of a negative? Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, and what I was saying before is that in one hand, that's, that's an external situation. You know, the way that you could look at, at wars and conflict taking place, that's an external, but it, it begins inside. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and each of us are, you know, have within us this struggle. You know, it's like, like the, um, the grandfather who went to his um, Native American son uh, and the boy said to grandfather i'm paraphrasing grandfather i feel this struggle there there's there's two wolves inside of me one is good and one is evil and which one will win and the grandfather looked at the grandson and said the one you feed right right so when you when you talk about this uh whether it's shandu the magician you talk about the uh, yarko you know, another character or Mr. Mystic, you know, which came out of um, the Yarko character um, mm-hmm. by Will Eisner. Uh, and you talk about Shandu the Magician and then, you know, to Doctor Strange. Um, again, these are all stories, you know, good versus evil and that so forth. But, but there's also layers, particularly in Doctor Strange, of complexity. Like you said, you know, the individual who starts out pompous and very selfish and then faced with a crisis, is faced with the opportunity to transform his life in the service of good. Yeah. But that doesn't come easily because he has to first unlearn and he has to face those things first, you know, yeah. that, 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 that have held him from this greater realization of self. Yeah. So knowledge of self, right? Know thyself, right? It goes back to the, the well, it's, it's universal, but we often look at the uh, Oracle at Delphi and, and over the transient, you know, know thyself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's constantly with us. It's always with us. Uh, and each, each moment, you know, essentially is that engagement. Like say when the bill is due, the bill is due. What was the phrase that you used? Oh yeah. He says uh, the bill comes due always. The bill comes due always. Right. You could think of it in those terms. You could think of it in terms of karma, that yep. every action, you know, everything you put out there, you know, it, it comes back. Now, learning how to leverage those moments to be able to see the bigger picture, you know, so that one thing folds into another, that you don't get stuck in one particular 
modality uh, per se. I think again, goes back to that metaphor of the story of Dr. Strange and what Steve Ditko so skillfully laid out uh, by showing these different rooms and dimensions and possibilities. We see that of course, when we think about, I was talking before about oppressive situations. Why is it that we have a Sun Ra was so important at the time and, and what he was able to forge? The idea of another world which George Clinton would take Parliament Funkadelic yeah, yeah, to yeah. another level, that yeah. Earth, Wind and Fire would take to another level. Mm-hmm. Afrofuturism, uh, Wakanda mm-hmm. <laughs> right? in Black mm-hmm. Panther, you know, yeah. circling back to Marvel, the Marvel Universe. Yeah, that's really incredible. I think that overall there's going to be a lot that continues to get touched on in these Doctor Strange movies that come out um, and the continuation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I hope that Kevin Feige continues to lay in some things that are relevant and happening right now socially uh, within some of these characters and how these characters have developed, like we saw with Falcon and Winter Soldier and yeah, I, I think that it's really exciting and I'm definitely looking forward to uh, having continued conversations with you, especially as Multiverse of Madness comes out and we're able to see how some of these things continue to unfold for this character. So One thing that I didn't mention, one of the things that also intrigued me is the idea of, you talk about the multiverse, mm-hmm. you know, that different realities can be existing simultaneously, that parallel realities can be existing yeah uh that every moment that ends you know is continued somewhere else and we follow another trajectory of possibility one of countless possibilities (laughs) yeah uh einstein right uh anyway yeah (laughs) what are those what are those entities called that disappear in one one moment and then wind up on another part of quarks kind of like that i think that that also that idea influenced some of the images that i create where they disappear and then reemerge. Mm-hmm. and i and i get a resonance of that when i listen to like symphonic music mm-hmm. when i hear different passages and 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 layers you know things that disappear or little hints of something and then they emerge as a motif you know later on and and they flower and bloom into something you know on a grander scale yeah all right we better stop there (laughs) because i could keep going (laughs) 